Hello, everyone. Welcome to Traditional Investing is Dead. I know that you're missing our fearless leader, the host of this podcast, Douglas Muir, but even the great ones need to take a break every once in a while. And so today is his day off. I hope you don't mind that I'm stepping in his place. Uh, and if you do mind, well, tough luck. Here I am anyway. Uh, so Doug oftentimes gives a lot of macroeconomic uh, information and data related to trends that are going on just in the general economy and tries to educate our viewers on various items, uh, inflation, interest rates, what the Fed is doing, things of that sort. But for this particular podcast, I thought it would be helpful uh, to have our viewers and our listeners learn a little bit about what we do when it comes to de-risking our portfolio of MCAs, but also de-risking from an investor perspective. You know, how, how do we protect the principal? How do we protect the interest and the payments that we make to, uh, to our investors? So I want to focus for just a small period of time on just that de-risking element, the de-risking equation that we spend a lot of time on. Daily, we're going through how do we refine things? How do we make things better? How do we make things more efficient? How do we remove even more risk from, uh, from uh, uh, the equation? So what I thought I would do is I would break our operations process into four categories. And for us, the four categories are, we work with a bunch of merchants. Right? How do we get the merchants? There's risk associated on the front end because if we were just willy-nilly advertising, hoping, uh, sort of paying and praying that we were going to get the right merchants and qualified leads, it probably wouldn't be a good business model. So there's the front end on, on what do we do to, to de-risk the acquisition of the customer. Then once we have a customer application, what do we do in the middle process to continue that de-risking? And then it culminates at the very end with what do we do at the very end if, God forbid, there's a, a default scenario. So I'm going to walk you through that process. Uh, on the front end, how do we acquire our customers? We have a little over 3,000 businesses, depending on the month, sometimes 4,000 businesses that we work with. How do we acquire those customers? Well, for us, we work with a series of business brokers. There's a whole bunch of business brokers around the U.S., who are constantly looking for and qualifying businesses for these non-traditional bank financing. And in effect, that's what we are. We extend private credit to these, to these businesses. So I try to give you a lot of analogies to help you understand. And for that particular element, the analogy that is most appropriate is probably car dealerships. Because for car dealerships, for most car dealerships, when a customer walks in, wants to buy a car, doesn't have cash and would like to finance the car, the car dealership will actually refer the customer to a car finance company. Consider FBF that finance company, right? So the finance company will give a commission to the car dealership for referring them that customer, but the finance company didn't spend any money to acquire that customer. They didn't go out and just advertise all over the internet and all over newspapers and all over TVs. We provide car financing. They waited for the car dealership to refer that person to them. That is in effect what we do, right? The business brokers are the car dealerships. 
the merchants are the customers and we are the car finance companies. And, you know, think about these car finance companies. You've probably never heard of many of them. Lintegrity, Westlake Financial, well, Capital One you've heard of, but, but you get the point on how that process works. So incentives are aligned for us with these brokers because they only get paid if we fund the clients that they send us. So they refer us a customer. We then have to make sure that that customer is the customer that we want to work with. So the second component of our de-risking process is software, right? Because if we paid humans to go through and analyze every single application that we get, it would be a nightmare and it would be very, very costly. So we've developed our own proprietary software that has an algorithm and the algorithm has a whole bunch of rules built into it. And I'm not going to go into detail right here. I'm just trying to give you a quick explanation of, of de-risking. But one of the rules, for example, is when we analyze the bank statements and the financial statements of the businesses that are referred to us by these business brokers, do the businesses accept cash? Right? If the businesses accept cash, well, that's a problem. That's going to create a red flag for our underwriting team and for us, right? Because cash can be deposited one month and hidden or pocketed the next month. So for a lot of restaurants, for example, that take cash, our software will, will throw up a red flag and say, be very careful with this one. So as our software gets smarter and as we accumulate more data about industry sectors and about states and about all these things, we get different levels of red flags depending on the merchants that's coming to us. Well, when the software gives us a green light and no red flag, then we get our human underwriters to actually evaluate those applications. Because oftentimes, you know, software is only one component. It can only do so much, but human judgment is something that software can never replicate, right? And, and the analogy I like to give here is uh, in the case like college admissions, right? There's a lot of data that a lot of applicants have when they're submitting applications to colleges. But the admissions officer, the judgment of the admissions officer, the feeling, the, the conversation that the admissions officer may have with a particular applicant, a particular student, is something that software can't recreate uh, and, and, and can't really generate the type of data. So, uh, so there is an element of human judgment and our three underwriters, Glenn, Gabe, and Tracy are the best at what they do, right? And we, we put a lot of, of, of trust in them. Uh, so the software will give them the green light. They then will take those uh, applicants and filter them more based on their judgment, on their experience, on what they know, maybe they'll have a conversation with the business owner. And then and only then will they make uh, the application positive and, and ask us to fund that particular merchant. So those are three elements so far. Right now we have, remember the cost acquisition, which we don't pay for unless we're gonna fund a particular company. We have the software and the algorithms that we've created. And then we have the human element of our, of our three great underwriters. After all that, and we begin to fund a company, then that company becomes part of our portfolio. And that portfolio is guaranteed by our management company. Meaning if something happens and the business defaults, the business is unable to pay, the investors 
absorb no risk because our management company will actually cover that those defaults for them because we trust our underwriters so much, we trust our software so much, and we trust working with our brokers uh, so much. So those are the four elements that really help our investors feel completely comfortable, completely happy with, uh, with us protecting their principal, us protecting their interest payments. And it's a constant refinement and a constant exercise in de-risking that we do. So I hope this gives you a little bit of insight into what we do on the back end, what we do here from an operational perspective when it comes to de-risking. Uh, my name is Rob Mosry. I'm the president of uh, the Family Business Fund. I know we miss Doug Muir. He'll be back next week or maybe the week after, but stay well. And uh, again, this is traditional investing is dead. Thank you.